this message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Well, it is really great to celebrate Easter together, isn't it? I always find it quite amazing, really, that... Um, something that happened 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away from this place, and we're celebrating it like it matters today. Where a Jewish man dies on a Roman cross on a hill outside of Jerusalem, and here we are this morning talking about it, singing about it. There's got to be something in this. There's got to be something in this. And, um, you know, as as we uh, read through the Easter story, Um, and we look at the Easter story together over the the last few days, and we remember Good Friday, we sometimes forget that we know the end. We kind of, you know, it's the spoiler alert, isn't it? That we actually know how it all turns out. But on Good Friday, there is probably nothing worse that could have burst the bubble for Jesus' disciples than his death on the cross. For them, that was it. That was the end of their world. You know, there had been lots of messiahs, people who said that they were the messiah who had died And for the disciples, they thought that the plan was that Jesus was going to become a great king, a great military leader, and lead Israel to glory. Not to die at the hands of the Romans. And not only that, but to die on a cross. There was an Old Testament, a verse that says that the person who dies on a tree was cursed by God. And you know, for people who lost their Messiah, they had two choices. Go home or find yourself a new Messiah. And you can imagine how confused the disciples must have been. They were sad, they were distraught, they were scared. They thought the same thing could happen to them. And they were confused, they were surprised, they didn't know what to expect. And we forget the kind of the emotions that they were going through. But what we see as the story unfolds is something happens that's so significant, they're transformed. They're not sad anymore, they are full of joy. They're not scared anymore, they're out in the streets shouting that Jesus is alive. They're not confused anymore. They're the most certain, sure people on the planet. And they grow rapidly over the next few days and months. So something must have happened. They must have seen something. And uh, there's a video that I'd like us to watch that describes this. That says, this is a historical, um, uh, a proven historical fact. What happened here? The documents that we have are historical documents. And the fact is, something happened that transformed the lives of these people. And I want to look at how they were transformed and how we can be transformed in our own lives today. So if you could run, run the video, please. Paula Fredrickson, Boston University. I know in their own terms what they saw was the raised Jesus. That's what they say, and then all the historical evidence we have afterwards attests to their conviction that that's what they saw. I'm not saying that they really did see the raised Jesus. I don't know what they saw. But I know that as a historian, they must have seen something. Is there any reason to believe that an extraordinary event like the resurrection actually happened? We might be encouraged to know that since the first Christians made the claim that the resurrection was Jesus' physical body coming to life and leaving an actual, literal tomb, as opposed to simply a spiritual belief that Jesus had come back again as a ghost or was alive in their hearts as a memory, it can be studied in the same way other historical events can be. Like Hannibal's invasion, complete with the elephants, Napoleon's defeat at Waterloo, or the Broncos being crushed by the Seahawks in Super Bowl 48. 
Historical research is well respected, even though, unlike scientific research, you cannot place historical events under a microscope or contain them to a lab. Historians put reports together from written sources and eyewitnesses or anything else that was known from the time and place of the events to reach reasonable conclusions about what may have actually happened. While many pieces of evidence can be used to point to the reality of Jesus' resurrection, we will focus on three. Number one, the early church exploded on the scene of the ancient world with the claim that Jesus had risen from the dead as their central proclamation. Many movements are gradual in building momentum, and when it comes to larger-than-life, legendary or miraculous characteristics claimed by these movements about their leaders, those ideas usually take decades and sometimes even centuries to develop. From what we know about Christianity, the claim that Jesus rose again from the dead was made from the very start, serving as this new religion's central idea. A passage that is thought to reflect the very earliest Christian belief, a founding Christian leader writes, I want to remind you of the good news I proclaimed to you. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and on the third day rose again from the dead. Within a very short time, this movement had taken the ancient world by storm, built on the testimony of those who claimed they had seen Jesus alive after death. There is every indication that they must have seen something. Number two, the earliest followers of Jesus claimed to be eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection and went to their deaths proclaiming it. Now, we all know people die for their beliefs. That does not make their beliefs true. But one thing it does for all of them, it is a very strong indicator that they believed what they were saying. It's been said, liars make lousy martyrs. The early followers of Jesus claimed first to have seen Jesus die and raise again from the dead. Their deaths are an indication that they certainly believed they had. They must have seen something. Number three, Jesus' resurrection was seen by his earliest followers and friends. But in addition, a very unusual thing happened around the same time. Two men who were self-described skeptics, even enemies of the idea of Jesus' divinity, turned from their skepticism to claim that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. The first was Jesus' own brother James. Historians are confident that we have good information regarding James, and we know he began as a skeptic over Jesus' claims to divinity. From what we know, he appears to have thought Jesus was decidedly not the Son of God, but also that his brother was a little on the kooky side, which, if you have a brother, you may be able to relate to. But somehow, James makes a complete turnaround in his view of Jesus, and the explanation he gives is, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He must have seen something. Then there was a man named Saul of Tarsus. He not only did not believe in Jesus, but when the news about him began to travel, he believed this new movement was a dangerous and destructive idea. He took it upon himself to oppose believers, even violently. He had people killed and put in prison just for believing in the resurrection. Then suddenly, Saul does one of the most amazing 180s in the history of 180s. He goes from sworn enemy of the new faith to one of its most passionate and vocal promoters. What happened? According to him, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. He went to his death, never backing off that claim. He must have seen something. Atheist New Testament scholar Jed Ludman 
It must be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. There you go. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, please, in your Bibles, as a reference that the, this video refers to. You know what? Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. And if Jesus isn't risen, then this, this morning, is a complete waste of time. Genuinely a complete waste of time. You should just go home and watch Bargain Hunt. But the fact is that we're here this morning. Jesus has saved you from Bargain Hunt, Chris. Cash in the attic, saved from cash in the attic. But you know what, this, this is real and, and for us to sing so passionately this morning and to proclaim this so clearly this morning, if Jesus isn't alive, then Paul actually says, then we're to be kind of felt sorry for because we're, the, we're the, kind of the most, um, the, the people that, that people should feel sorry for for believing something that's so untrue and yet we know that Jesus is alive. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Let me now remind you, verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. If, uh, it is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. I passed on to you, verse 3, what was most important and what also has been passed on to me. So Paul says, this is what's most important. I passed this on to you, and I'm reminding you of it again here. It says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. He was then seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. They must have seen something. And Paul is writing and saying, we saw him. We saw him with our own eyes. And for us 2,000 years later, there's an element of putting our trust in what Paul is saying here. But there are many people here who have seen Jesus, not with their physical eyes, but have seen him move in their lives. They've seen evidence that Jesus is alive. They've seen something. If you're a child in the room and you've got a booklet, can you give your booklet a little wave? The booklet that you had when you came in. We're going to look at five people who saw something. And we're going to look at how a risen Jesus changed them from one thing to something else. And I want to say this this morning. Many of us will be in one of these categories. And I want to say there's nothing wrong with that. But I want us to look again at the Jesus being risen and the difference that makes for us. And the first person I want us to look at is James. So there's a nice photograph of James taken around about uh, 53 AD. He's looking quite smoldering there, isn't he? James was Jesus' brother. Jesus was the eldest brother, and he had four half-brothers, same mom, different dad. And he had James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. So James was the second brother. And we know that Jesus' brothers, well, they made fun of him. They ridiculed him. They mocked him. If you look in John 7, there's a big festival going on in Jerusalem, and Jesus' brothers start ribbing Jesus, and they say, come on, Jesus, you're starting to get a bit famous now. You should go down to that festival and start speaking up. It's time for you to kind of promote yourself. And Jesus says, it's not my time to go. And then, and then sure enough, he goes later on. But we can see that they ridiculed. They made fun of Jesus. There are many people who mock Jesus and who mock Christians. But I want to say this. 
they're not safe from meeting a risen Jesus. And what happens in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7, it says that James saw Jesus. He saw a risen Jesus. And now, from someone who's mocking Jesus, we turn to Acts 1 verse 14, and James, Jesus' brother, is waiting in Jerusalem where a risen Jesus had told his disciples to wait. Now he was revering Jesus. He was respecting Jesus. And if you turn to James 1 verse 1, we have this incredible turnaround of how James describes himself. James writes a letter, and he says this, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? If Jesus wasn't the Son of God, there's no way you'd get a younger brother to say that about his big brother. But he said, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He goes from ridicule to reverence, from mocking Jesus to not only respecting him, but saying, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He must have seen something. A risen Jesus. And then we have Peter. And Peter goes from insipid to inspired. You know what? Before Jesus is arrested, Peter says to Jesus, Jesus, no matter what happens, I'll, I won't leave your side. I'll fight for you. I'll be willing to die for you if I have to. And then Jesus is arrested, and what does Peter do? He legs it. He runs off. And then from a distance, he watches what happens. And he's standing at a fireplace. And Jesus has already said, Peter, you're going to pretend that you don't know me. And Peter says, that will never happen, Lord. And then Peter is standing at a fireplace. And a slave girl comes and asks Peter, are you one of those guys that hang out with Jesus? Are you one of Jesus' friends? And, G- and, and Peter starts to change his accent because he knows that he's, he's from the north. And the, the, a lot of the disciples were from the north. So he changes his accent from Yorkshire. He kind of goes all cockney. And oh, I don't know this Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) But he goes insipid and weak and scared. And yet, just 40 days later, Peter is standing in front of a huge crowd saying, you crucified Jesus, and I'm telling you now that he is the risen Lord. What a transformation. Cowering from a slave girl insipid to 40 days later, preaching to a crowd saying, Jesus is alive. From insipid to inspired. Why? Because he's seen something. Jesus is risen. And then the next person we have is Thomas, who goes from suspicious to sure. I really wanted him to go from cynical to certain, but the C didn't fit in with the risen, so I had to kind of, but it sounds like it works. But. And if you turn to John 20, we can read, you know, if you've ever had any doubts about Jesus, you're in good company. And I want to say this morning, if you've ridiculed Jesus or people who believe in Jesus, or if you're suspicious about what this is, or if, if you're, um, you're, you're a bit insipid in, in where you stand, there's hope for you this morning because a risen Jesus is here and he wants you to meet him. And it says here in, in uh, John 20, verse 19, you go, this is how freaked out the disciples were. They're hiding behind locked doors. And it says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. I'm sure Jesus loved that trick. They're behind locked doors. They think they're safe. And then Jesus kind of comes around from behind them and taps them on the shoulder. And they go, ah! And then he goes, peace be with you. And as he spoke, he shows them the wounds in his hands and his side. And Thomas had said, 
Later, so we move on later on, and Thomas hears this story from the disciples, and he says in verse 25, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers in them and place my hand into the wound in his side. It's not very hygienic. But he's saying, I want to know, I want to see for certain. And then Jesus appears eight days later, and again, he, the doors were locked, and Jesus stands among them in verse 26, and he says, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And sure enough, what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. He went from suspicious to sure. He believed that Jesus is alive. He must have seen something. And if you're skeptical here this morning or you're a bit cynical this morning, have an open heart, have an open mind. Jesus is alive. He wants to reveal himself to you. And then we have Saul who gets a name changed to Paul, who goes from an enemy to an evangelist. You know what? Paul writes about himself. He said, when I was called Saul, he didn't actually say that, better call Saul. When I was Saul, I went around, I went to foreign cities looking for Christians to catch them, to put them in prison, and even to put them to death. And now he wasn't traveling to persecute Christians, he was traveling to preach the gospel. He went from an enemy to an evangelist. And in Acts 9, we see Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself pulls Paul off his horse and and, and Paul falls flat to the floor and he's blinded by the glory of Jesus. And Jesus says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting Christians? No, he says, why are you persecuting me? You know what, when we know Jesus and we come into a relationship with him, we come into him and he comes into us. This is the relationship that God wants us to have with him. Yeah. And when Saul realizes it, he, see, he cries out, he was indeed the son of God. Turns from an enemy to an evangelist, he must have seen something. You might be a complete atheist here this morning, but I want you to know you're not safe because Jesus is alive and he wants you to know him. Amen. And then Mary Magdalene. Mary was the lady who, if you could put her picture up, she was a, a woman of disrepute, and she had seven demon, demonic spirits in her, in her that Jesus cast out, and she followed Jesus, and she followed Jesus to his crucifixion, and she stood at the foot of the cross. You know who are the strong, bold ones in the story of the crucifixion? The ladies. They were the ones who were at the cross. They were the ones who were the first to the tomb. Guys, we've got to buck our ideas up. And she's there, and she's standing in the garden. She's going to see Jesus on the Sunday morning. She wants to um, visit the tomb where Jesus lies, and she sees that the stone has rolled away, that the tomb is empty, and she's wondering where Jesus is. And she's sad. She's got no hope. And a gardener, or who she thinks is the gardener, comes to speak with her. And she says, sir, do you know where Jesus is? And he says one word. He just says her name, Mary. And in that moment, she knew it was a risen Jesus. She turned from no hope to brand new hope. And all of a sudden, she's given a job to do. She's, she's told to go and tell everybody that he's alive. She must have seen something to be transformed from sadness to great joy. And you know, in all of these people that we've looked at, all four men died for their faith in Jesus Christ. They were crucified, they were tortured, they were killed for their faith in Jesus. They must have seen something. And my question to you this morning is, what have you seen? I know there are lots of us here this morning that will be 
have different uh, backgrounds, different pasts, different faiths. Some of us will believe in Jesus. Some of us won't be sure. But I want you to know this. God loves you. God knows you. And God sent Jesus for you. There was a chasm between us and God that was created by sin. And it separated us from God. And there was no way that we could come back into relationship with God on our own. So God sent Jesus. And Jesus hung on a cross. He hung between heaven and earth. Between a heavenly God and earthly man. He hung there. And he took our sin, our punishment on himself. And formed a bridge back to God. He did that for you and he did that for me. And he was buried in a tomb. And you know, if that was the end of the story, then all Jesus would be this morning is another martyr. But the story doesn't end there. He's risen. And because Jesus is risen, it means this. Not only has he bridged the gap between us and God, but we know that death isn't the end. And we know that sin hasn't won. But actually, because he returned to God, we too can return to our relationship with our Heavenly Father when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. You know what? Here this morning, you might have ridiculed Jesus. But I want you to know you can go away from here this morning respecting him and knowing him. You might be here this morning and you're a bit insipid in your faith. Maybe you've been a Christian and you've walked away. You've made choices where you've not put Jesus first. This morning, I want you to look at Jesus again and be inspired. You might be here this morning and you're suspicious. But you can know a surety that Jesus is risen and alive and he wants you to know him. You might have been an enemy. Today you can leave here being an evangelist, someone who's seen the risen Jesus, transformed from no hope to new hope. I'm going to ask the musicians and the singers to come back to the stage. And um, we're going to finish with a song. But if we could just stand together for a moment, please. And just um, consider Jesus. Just think about Jesus this morning. Not Jesus on the cross. Not Jesus in the tomb. Not even Jesus in the garden. But Jesus is risen and he ascended into heaven. And he is now King of kings and Lord of lords. He's our Savior and he's our Lord. And he wants us to know him this morning. And Holy Spirit, I ask right now that as we think about Jesus, as we remember what he's done, as we look at where he is this morning, alive, risen and alive, Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that we catch something fresh of who Jesus really is. Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, please visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.